We are going to get started. We have a very important topic in front of us this evening. In fact, it's the continuation of last week, and, or of two weeks ago, I should say. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, I tried to condense all of Proverbs' teaching on justice into one evening, essentially one hour. And uh, if you were there, you probably felt like you were dr- drinking from a, a fire hydrant. I certainly felt like I was trying to, 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 <laughs> to feed you through a fire hydrant. Uh, there's just so much in the book of Proverbs on the concept of justice. And so afterwards, I thought, you know what? Uh, we need to come back and we need to cover some of the, the principles that the book of Proverbs raises with respect to justice Uh, We can't move on quickly because this is such an important topic. Justice is one of the most important terms in the entire Bible. We won't get into it tonight. Proverbs will not deal specifically with this doctrine at any great length, but we have the doctrine of justification, which is connected to the concept of justice. So, of course, justice is, is a crucial concept in, in, the, in, in, in the Scriptures. God defines himself as a God of justice. His throne is built upon justice. So, we cannot ignore this topic or move on too quickly from it. Moreover, we just look around and we, say, we see that justice is also one of the most popular terms in our culture today. And because of that, because it is so popular, so used and misused in our culture today, we as Christians need to make sure we have a solid biblical understanding of this topic. You see, the critical issue is not whether we believe justice is essential. Hardly anyone would try to make the case today that justice is not essential. In fact, you go to any prison, and those prisoners, more likely than not, will be some of the strongest proponents of justice according to their terms. Everybody wants justice, and that's understandable. But when we look at how the world uses the term justice, how our culture uses the term justice today, we realize That when we compare its usage of the term justice to what we find in the Bible, there are great disparities. Counterfeit understandings of this term abound. And it's no coincidence that our world has hijacked this term justice. You see, it ultimately springs. This hijacking, this perversion of the term justice springs from sinful man's effort to defame the God of justice. Think for just a moment of Romans chapter 8, verse 7. In Romans 8, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says this, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. So you have to understand that in the sinful world, among those who do not fear God, who do not fear Yahweh, Their mind is set on the flesh and therefore automatically, naturally is hostile. It's not just neutral, it is hostile 
toward God, and therefore, automatically, it will be hostile to biblical justice, to God's perfection, his standard of justice. And so, in light of that, as Christians today, in a world that loves the term justice, it behooves us to make sure we understand this concept biblically. Well, two weeks ago, at our last study in Proverbs, I talked about seven lessons from Proverbs on pursuing justice, and we got through the first four. I thought, well, instead of just letting you read the rest, what I would do is come back and visit it. And as I got back into it, I realized, well, you know what? It's not just seven lessons that I found. I found eight. So two weeks ago, we looked at four. Tonight, we're going to look at another four. You'll find them, the the next four listed there in the handout. Now, before we get into those specific lessons, I I want to provide you with an an overview, a a, a biblical definition of the term justice as we begin with. This is so very important. And this definition of justice arises not only from the book of Proverbs, but from all of Scripture. But it's important to stop at the very beginning and define our terms. If we don't define our terms clearly, we get lost and we are then susceptible to all kinds of error and syncretism. Now, as we define justice, we need to begin with definition number one, which I would say is a general definition of the term justice in light of Scripture. How does Scripture define justice in general? And I mentioned this last time. We focused on this two weeks ago. It is this. Justice, according to Scripture, refers to the pursuit of righteous relations with all others who come across life's path. Justice refers to the pursuit of righteous relations, right relations with all others who come across life's path. So when we talk about justice in the general sense, not in the ambiguous sense that our world likes to speak of today, what we're speaking of is a state of affairs between people, real people, real relationships, and justice is a quality that defines those relationships as being righteous. They conform to God's standard of right relations, how he has created us to relate to one another. And so if we look at the Old Testament, the standard of right relations would be defined by the Ten Commandments. That's the standard summarized in those Ten Commandments. And you could even go beyond that and say, take all those Ten Commandments and summarize them as Jesus did in those two greatest commandments. And it is this with respect to righteous relations. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the vertical one. There needs to be a righteous relationship vertically. That's just. But then number two, what we're most focused on is the horizontal one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is biblical justice, understanding love biblically and neighbor biblically. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is a right relationship that is justice in the general sense, the pursuit of righteous relations. In this sense, it's in many ways synonymous with the terms righteousness or equity. In fact, we saw in Proverbs 1 verse 3 that the book of Proverbs was written to instruct in righteousness, justice, and equity. Really saying the same thing with slightly different nuances. 
It all refers to integrity and morality in relationships. But there is a second nuance to justice, and we, I, I mentioned this just briefly last time. And it's a, a definition that seems to be more closer to what we often think of when you think of ju- justice, and that's the concept of retribution. And so there is this second definition of justice, which is also biblical, and we would define it this way. Justice also refers to the restoration or enforcement or or vindication of righteous relations when those relations have been corrupted. So that's the retributive sense, retribution, punishment. So indeed, righteousness looks at it from two angles. On the one side, justice is the pursuit of these right relations, the cultivation of right relations. It means that if I am relating to my neighbor, if I'm relating to my coworkers, if I'm relating to my wife and my children righteously, then you could call me a man of justice, of right relations. And so much of life has to do with that. Or if I was relating to them in an improper way, you would call me a man of injustice. He's an unjust man. But you can also use the term justice to refer to what should happen, what will happen when those relations have not been maintained righteously. When someone commits unrighteousness in a relationship to someone else, does something that breaks God's law, that breaks even civil law, that's an injustice. And so we can then talk about justice as restoration or vindication. That justice must come when relations have been corrupted. And when we talk about biblical justice, we look at it in both of those sides. The pursuit of just or right relations, as well as the restoration or vindication of right relations. That's the term justice. I like how Scott Allen defines it. He provides this helpful definition. I'll give it to you and then we'll get to our lessons from Proverbs. Scott Allen in his book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice, defines it this way. He says, quote, biblical justice is conformity to God's moral standard as revealed in the Ten Commandments and the royal law To love your neighbor as yourself. It's conformity. My relations. Vertically and also horizontally are conformed to God's revealed standard. That's biblical justice. And you can take that and and you can say it in other words. You can talk about communitive justice as Alan does. As he goes on to say this. Communitive justice Communitive justice is then living in right relationship with God and others, giving people their due as image bearers of God. That's communion. That's, 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 that's community. It's giving people their rightful due as image bearers of God. It's very concrete. It's, it's relating to each other in, in terms of the horizontal level. It's relating to each other as image bearers, according to how God is revealed for us, to relate to one another. That's communitive justice. It's the pursuit of justice. 
right relations. But it is also, it is also retributive, or as he calls it here, distributive justice. Now notice how he defines this second nuance. Distributive, retributive justice, retribution, is the kind of justice that impartially renders judgment. It rights wrongs. It meets out punishment for law-breaking. He goes on to say this, It is reserved for God and God-ordained authorities, including parents in the home, elders in the church, teachers in the school, and civil authorities in the state. I'm going to come back to that second one. We're going to deal with that in a little bit more detail in tonight's study. But before I do, let me summarize the first four principles that we looked at two weeks ago. Number one, we looked at this principle from Proverbs. Justice cannot be correctly defined apart from divine revelation. Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And we emphasized two weeks ago that any effort to define justice apart from God as the standard and apart from his word as his revelation is always going to be corrupt. And this is the main problem in the world today. Remember, the, the, the mind that is, hot, that, that is on the flesh is hostile to God. And so in our world today, justice is very popular. However, it proceeds from this starting point that rejects the true God of justice and defines justice according to what is personally convenient. And that is what creates such a quandary, such chaos in our world today. There is no justice. Everybody is defining it on their own standards. Everybody looks to themselves and to their experience as the standard for justice. This is what justice looks like. This is how justice is to be meted out. And it's all based on experience. The book of Proverbs reminds us that the starting place is always the fear of the Lord. Secondly, we looked at this principle. Justice is an essential ingredient for and consequence of true wisdom. We looked at just one text, even Proverbs 2, verses 6 to 9, where Lady Wisdom uh, states this, or, or Solomon states this about wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. God stores up wisdom for the just, for the righteous. Those who pursue justice, God stores up wisdom for them. So we see that justice is an ingredient for wisdom. Solomon goes on to say, He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of the godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. It's interesting. On the one hand, Solomon says, in order to get wisdom, you need to be pursuing justice. And then he says, on the other hand, if you get wisdom, then with it comes justice. And the emphasis there is that these two things go together. It's a package deal. You can't have true wisdom without justice. And you can't have true justice without wisdom. Yet again, this is where our world fails. And today you have many proponents, many advocates of justice today, who are fools. Who reject the God of Scripture and yet hold up placards for, wisdom, or for, for justice. Who will live abominable lives 
and yet will claim to be an advocate for justice. Well, the book of Proverbs doesn't allow us to make that kind of separation. You cannot truly be a just person if you are ignoring or refusing the wisdom of God. And you can not be a wise person if you think that justice is not important. It's a holistic approach. We must look at the whole of life. We cannot give in to this idea that justice is just a compartment, something that I do in public when everybody's watching, but then I can live like the devil in private and call myself a just man. Proverbs does not allow that kind of dichotomy. Number three, justice manifests itself in personal behavior and concrete situations. Here's the reality. You take all the teaching that Proverbs gives on justice, and you challenge people this way and say, where's the abstract thinking here? When Proverbs talks about justice, it always reduces it to concrete situations, to individuals. It reduces it to very personal levels of responsibility. It does not treat justice in the abstract. Instead, right relations are treated as a practical and personal responsibility. Now, again, when you look at the topic of justice today in the world, just ask a social justice advocate to define what they mean. I can almost guarantee you that you'll, you'll hear some abstract idea. What is common in the social justice movement is that it wants to take this concept of justice and decry the injustices of hierarchies, of systems, of ethnicities, and so on. It always wants to push the concept of justice into the realm of the abstract, and Proverbs resists that. Proverbs says that justice is a practical issue. Justice is a personal issue. Justice is something that relates to personal responsibility. Justice is not just some slogan. It is not vague. It is very concrete. And when you study Proverbs in particular, it looks It identifies, it looks at three areas in particular where it says justice will or will not be found. And again, this is very different from what we see in the world today. And one of those areas, we talked about it two weeks ago, is this. Justice will be found in the way that you use words. Whether you are a man of truth or not. For example, Proverbs says in 12.17, He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. Notice the word right there. Right speaks of righteous relations. And again, what is common today is to have all kinds of people who speak of justice, who claim to be advocates of justice, and they tell lies and slander. So they relegate justice to the realm of the abstract, and in the realm of the concrete, they are sinning against their neighbor. Proverbs says you've got it all wrong. Look first at how you use your words. Are they truthful? Or are you slandering, lying, telling deceit? We need to return to that kind of focus. Number two, we also looked at a a category of practical relations here. And it has to do with how one makes wealth. Righteous or, or justice 
a right relationship to others will manifest itself in how one makes wealth. And so in Proverbs, you have these references to just and unjust scales. That when you buy and sell, you have a standard that is right. It's the right standard. So even today, applying it today, the way that you make wealth, the way that you make money, is it a way of integrity? Or do you steal? Again, that's one of the ironies of the world today. You have justice advocates looting buildings and stealing from Target because Target is an entity. It's not an individual. So that in their minds, hey, that's not unrighteous. Proverbs doesn't let you do that. If you're going to make wealth, you have to do it in a just way. You have to relate to others around you in justice. And then, of course, justice is also discussed in practical terms in the book of Proverbs as it is manifested in how one treats the vulnerable, those who are poor through no fault of their own, those who are orphaned and widows. Again, it treats it very specifically. Proverbs 22, 22 to 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor. Notice the singularity of this. The wise man looks at the individual and tells him, not a society. That's abstract. He tells the individual, he looks in the face of his son and says, do not rob the poor because he, not they, he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their case and will take the life of those who rob them. Number four, when we looked last time at what Proverbs teaches on justice, we notice this, justice can never be influenced by personal preferences or payoffs. And here's the important issue, justice is always about righteous relations. Justice is always about morality. It's always about morality. But when non-moral issues are used to decide moral problems, then you have partiality. When, when there is the question about restoring right relations, restoring moral relations, or vindicating, or bringing retribution, that is a moral issue. And the scriptures call us in the exercise of justice to make sure that the factors used in that discussion are all moral in nature. In other words, we can't look on economic status. A non-moral issue, whether the person is rich or poor, and decide morality on that basis. That is partiality. Partiality is the unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. There can be partiality shown towards those who have less money and partiality shown towards those who have more money. Partiality shown towards those who have certain skills and partiality shown towards those who lack skills. Partiality is an unfair bias in favor of one thing or another. So notice this, Proverbs seventeen fifteen: He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike, are an abomination to the Lord. We looked at other Proverbs 
And they come from the teaching of the Mosaic Law, which was so very clear and something which is often forgotten today in the discussions about justice. Take, for example, Leviticus chapter 9, uh, chapter 19, verse 11 and verse 15. Here Moses says this, you shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another. That is a moral command. It applies to everyone equally. And then he goes on to state in verse 15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. What is Moses saying here? That as you decide moral issues, you are not to look at non-moral issues in a way that brings you to partiality of one group over another. And that's why we say justice is to be blind. Justice is not to be a respecter of faces. It is to make decisions based on morality. The determination of a just relationship toward another, as Moses says, is not to be made according to an economic status, whether wealthy or poor, nor according to a social standing, whether great or small. Instead, true justice is about righteousness, and therefore judgments about relationships must be made according to morality as defined by God. It's all about morality, the Upholding or the breaking of laws. That leads us to number five. Now let's look at the four lessons for today. Number five, justice as retribution is to be carried out by God-ordained authorities. That's a very important point. Let's pull this apart a little bit. Now, Proverbs leaves no... It, it, it leaves no doubt as to the certainty, the importance, the necessity of what we call retributive or distributive justice when, whenever relationships have been violated. And let's go back to that definition that I gave from Alan. He said this, distributive justice or retributive justice is impartially rendering judgment, righting wrongs, and meeting out punishment for lawbreaking. It is reserved for God and God-ordained authorities, including parents, elders, teachers, and civil authorities. So, when relationships have been violated, justice also says there must now be retribution. There must be correction. There must be restoration. There must be punishment. Because morality has been transgressed. Laws have been broken And righteousness requires vindication. Proverbs does not say that anyone can get engaged in this process of distributive or retributive justice. It doesn't give everybody the authority or the right to do that. As Alan said, that is to be undertaken by God-ordained authorities. And Proverbs recognizes several of them. First of all, the primary agent of retributive justice in The book of Proverbs is the father, the primary agent of bringing justice where justice is not present is the father. Men, fathers, you need to understand this. This is where it begins. When relationships have been violated, even at the smallest levels, it begins in the home. It begins with that little baby 
That baby that grows up to be a child. And the first and primary agent that brings justice into this world is the dad. It's the father. And so that's why the book of Proverbs speaks so much about the father and his role and uses the term rod. Proverbs 13.24, he who withholds his rod, there is the symbol of justice. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod, there's the instrument of justice. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14, do not hold back discipline from a child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Now, there are many today who would look at that and say, oh, that's a travesty. That's an abomination. But let me tell you this. To the degree that fathers do not introduce justice into their homes is the same degree to which justice will be violated in much more severe ways once those children leave the home. There is a direct correlation. And what we are seeing today in the mob activity that is out there today and the criminality that is springing up from almost every corner and every crack in this society is often traced back to the fact that fathers didn't do their job in bringing justice, in training and justice in their homes. And you might say, well, I want to protect my child from tears. I want him to be comfortable at home. Well, you're consigning him to Sheol. What you do, what you fail to do in your home, you're going to leave it to a police officer to do in the middle of the night, in the darkness, when his life is under threat. And guess what's going to happen? No, justice, as Proverbs says, must be first brought into the home. And let me tell you this also, men. When you do this in a faithful way, you train your men to be respecters of relationships when they leave the home. There's a second category, a second agent, and it is the teacher. In the book of Proverbs, you have the teacher, the wise man, the authority in moral matters, the instructor, the guide, the disciplinarian, and he has also a role in bringing justice into life. In Old Testament times, this would be the the priest and the teacher of the law who would be involved in the life of Israel, the people, to bring justice, to decide disputes. To bring punishment. And we see that also in Proverbs. And we would say this. This is parallel today in the role of spiritual authorities in the church. Proverbs 10 verse 13. On the lips of the discerning wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. There's the role of the teacher. Proverbs 14.3. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back. But the lips of the wise will protect them. On and on and on it goes. Proverbs 26 verse 3. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod is for the back of fools. Again, the the picture of the rod there is that vivid representation of justice. There is a third category for retributive justice in Proverbs, and that's the civic government represented by the king. Proverbs 14, verse 35, the king's favor is toward a servant who acts wisely, but his anger is toward him who acts shamefully. That is right. Proverbs exalts the fact that a king must exercise justice 
anger against shameful, foolish, unrighteous behavior. Proverbs 20 verse 8, a king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Proverbs 20 verse 26, a wise king, now get this, winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. That's what Proverbs says. That's the picture of justice. There are the wicked, and a wise king will winnow the wicked and drive the threshing wheel over them. Proverbs 29, verse 4, the king gives, a, gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes overthrows it. Same idea is found in the New Testament in Romans chapter 13, verses 3 to 4. It talks about the civil magistrate bearing the sword, that picture of justice, and he does so to punish those who are evil. He is there to punish, to bring his sword upon those who practice evil. So you have these different agents. Proverbs doesn't say we all take the law into our own hands. We all are engaged in retributive justice. We all take up the law and we all use mob force and we just go and Right, all the wrongs that we see. No, Proverbs says it's relegated to certain categories of people. The father, the teacher, and the king. But there's another way in which retributive justice is meted out. This is fascinating. And it's a theme that's often missed in Proverbs. God has wired it into the the creation that he has made. He has wired it into creation so that creation itself will bring about justice. You might say, well, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is God's law of cause and effect. And what's fascinating to study is the book of Proverbs. And look at how often the, the, the sage describes the violent man, the wicked man, becoming the victim of his own violence. God's name is not even mentioned. And it, that's not to say that God is just far off, unconcerned, but The book of Proverbs does that to show that God has programmed it into this universe that those who commit violence will have it come back upon them. It's what we call poetic justice. And it very much exists. And let me tell you this. One of the the key things that we see in the the culture today in, in all these radical efforts to bring about this new kind of justice is not about justice. What you see is this radical effort to revolt against God's law of cause and effect. People today want the right to participate in criminality and not face consequences. And they'll call that justice. And when there are consequences, then they want what they say is justice, which is the freedom from those consequences. But the book of Proverbs doesn't allow that. Notice, for example, Proverbs 21, verse 7. The violence of the wicked will drag them away because they refuse to act with justice. The violence of the wicked will drag them away because they refuse to act with justice. There is a cause and there is an effect. You do violence, the effect will be you will reap violence. Proverbs 28 verse 10, he who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit. 
but the blameless will inherit good. Proverbs 1, verses 28 to 32. In the opening part of this book, Solomon says this. He calls upon his son, my son, in in verse 10, he says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And then he explains why. And notice verse 28 to 32 in particular. He says, Then sinners will call upon me wisdom, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. That's God's law of cause and effect. A few others. Proverbs eleven nineteen. He who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. And he who pursues evil will bring about his own death. Again, that's not just my theorizing about justice. This is what the book of Proverbs, this is what divine wisdom says. Proverbs 22 verse 8, he who sows iniquity, injustice, will reap vanity and the rod of his fury will perish. Proverbs 24 verses 19 to 20, do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked, for there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. As I said, one of the big problems today is that man is revolting against God's law of cause and effect. They want the right to participate in criminality and have no consequence. So much of the modern obsession with justice is this desire to uproot God's structure And pursue a life of drug use, sexual immorality, association with violence, and then to receive a reward of the righteous. And the book of Proverbs says no matter how hard you try in this world to resist this law of cause and effect, it is impossible. Hosea 8 verse 7 perhaps states it best. For they sow the wind, and they reap the wind. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say they sow the wind and they reap wind. It says they sow the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. And we must understand that, men, that this is how serious these issues are. You sow the wind... You'll reap the whirlwind. Number six, justice in its ultimate sense may come slowly, but it is inevitable. Of course, here we're talking about divine justice, not just the justice meted out by fathers or teachers, not just the justice meted out by civil magistrates, but there is a justice that will be meted out by the hand of God himself. There will be punishment, vindication, and there will also be justice in terms of reward. God will reward the righteous. That too is justice. Proverbs 3.33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. His curse, the curse of Yahweh, is on the house of the wicked. But Yahweh blesses 
the dwelling of the righteous. Proverbs 15, verse 25, Yahweh will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Proverbs 19, 17, here we have justice in a positive sense. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. Proverbs 23, verses 10 to 11, do not move the boundary, the ancient boundary, or go into the fields of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. And finally, Proverbs 29, 26, many seek the ruler's favor, and so important, many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Consequently, with that realization, Man is not to take it upon himself to seek vengeance or to relish even in the destruction of the oppressor. Now, as I said, there are agents through whom God meets out justice in this temporal world. Fathers and teachers and, 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 and civil magistrates, police officers and judges and juries and so on. But when we're not of those categories and, and when we're not in, entrusted and delegated with that responsibility, then we must understand that justice then will come, but it'll come from the hand of the Lord, and it is not our job to interfere with that. Proverbs is very clear on this. Proverbs 20, verse 22, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. And this is so important for young people because our age is the age of grievance. Our age is the age of bitterness everywhere. Resentment. Someone is angry at something for, some, for something that someone did at some point in time. And bitterness and vengeance and, and grievance mark so much of our society, and it is even here in the church. Proverbs 24, verse 70 to 18 says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, or the Lord will see it and be displeased, and he will turn his anger away from him. Here's the issue, that even when there is someone who has transgressed against you, someone who has been unrighteous in their relationship to you, who has not been right. First of all, you have to leave it to God's agents to make it right. And then ultimately, you leave it to God to make it right. And when God does, whether through his agents or by God's own hand, Proverbs says, don't rejoice. Don't dance over the grave of your enemy. And you say, well, I don't go to the graveyard and I don't dance over my enemies. But how often do we do that in our own thoughts? You know, you, how often does this happen? You know, someone against whom you have a grudge and then their car breaks down. Something, some tragedy happens and you, yes. Proverbs says that is in itself unrighteous. Proverbs 24, 29, do not say, do not say. Thus I shall do to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Other texts as well, Proverbs 25, 21 to 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. And you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. 
This, of course, comes again out of the law, Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. If we really believe this, it means there is no place for this attitude of entitlement that says, because I have been oppressed, someone has committed sin against me, I can take it out on others. I can take the law into my own hands. I can become a mean old man because someone was mean to me. That only shows that you don't believe God is a God of justice. That only shows that you think God will forget, he doesn't care, and you really have to be the judge of the universe. Romans 12 continues this idea in in verses 17 to 21, even citing Proverbs 25, Romans 12, 17 to 21 says it so clearly this way, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil by good. And that is what must mark God's people. Yes, there are real transgressions. Real cases of injustice in this world. And they are ugly and they are horrible. And you know what? We as God's people should respond fundamentally different than the people of this world. Oh, pastor, but, but we'll get walked on. They'll walk all over us. They'll just take us... Uh, take advantage of us again. Well, I can understand that if you're in the world and your mind is set on fleshly things, that's how you're going to think. But you believe in Yahweh. You believe he's a God of justice. So why are you holding on to grudges? Why are you seeking revenge? Why are you tantalizing over the prospect that something may happen to them? No, if we believe God is a God of justice, we leave it in his hands. We love our enemies. We love those who have acted unrighteously toward us. That is what we are called to do, and that is justice. That is a righteous relationship to those who have sinned against us. Thomas Watson said, it is more honor to bury an injury than to revenge it. Jonathan Edwards, in his 14th resolution, said this, resolved never to do anything out of revenge. Number seven, justice is a quality more valuable than wealth and more noble than sacrifice. Proverbs prioritizes righteous relations with others over both material riches and religious Ritual. Proverbs 15 verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked, of the unjust, of the unrighteous, that sacrifice is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright 
The righteous one, the just one, is God's delight. Proverbs 16, verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Proverbs 21, verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. You know what? The Lord wants more of you with respect to your relationships with others, with respect to your wife, with respect to your children, with respect to your neighbors, your co-workers, your, your extended family. He wants that more than wanting you to be at every single Bible study that's possible throughout the week and giving 20% of your income and so on and so forth. He wants from you righteous relationships. Relations. That is more precious to him than the sacrifice of a thousand goats and sheep. In fact, this comes directly, this statement in Proverbs 21 verse 3 ties us all the way back to Saul in 1 Samuel 15. You remember that, right? And, and the Lord said through Samuel, the prophet to Saul, go to the Amalekites, destroy their livestock, and kill Agag the king. They are an unrighteous people. They're an abomination. Saul, thinking that he would do one better than God, thinking that he would be more just than God himself, spared the sheep and the goats and said, you know what? Rather than slaughtering them, I'm going to build the world's biggest sacrifice. And rather than hacking Agag to pieces, Saul leaves him alive. Saul thinks that's the better justice. And of course, the Lord says to Saul through Samuel, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of lambs. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination as is as iniquity and idolatry. You need to remember that. Justice, right relations, practically pure, righteous relations is far better than even our biggest monetary sacrifices. And of course, that same idea is repeated in Micah 6, verse 6 to 8. I won't read it, but you can read it later. It says the same thing, and that leads... Spurgeon to state this, talk not of Gregorian chants, sumptuous robes, incense, and banners. The first thing which God requires of his child is obedience. And though you should give your body to be burned and all your goods to feed the poor, yet if you do not hearken to the Lord's precepts, all your formalities shall profit you nothing. Number eight, and finally, justice is indispensable for the exercise of leadership. This is straightforward. In summary, remember that the contents of the book of Proverbs were compiled as an effort to create a curriculum for young princes, young leaders, young men preparing for civil leadership. And so, therefore, a lot of these Proverbs deal with justice because of the need to train young leaders in the exercise of justice as part of their leadership. Proverbs 8, 15 to 16 says, Lady Wisdom says, By me kings reign, by me wisdom, and rulers decree justice. 
By me, princes rule and nobles and all who judge rightly. And on and on it goes. You can look at some of these Proverbs later on your own. Proverbs 28, 29.1, 29.4, 29.14. Especially chapter 29 of Proverbs deals a lot with justice in terms of civil leadership. And I'll just end with this idea, this challenge to you men. That if we are to be effective leaders that honor our Lord for the abilities that he has given to us as men. Whether that is in the home or in the church, in the world, in business. We must be men committed to righteous relations. To think in terms of God's standard for every single person that the Lord puts across our path. Not treating them with partiality, some better than worse, just because of how they look. And making sure that this extends to every relationship, whether it is in the supermarket, whether it's in the parking lot at Costco, whether it is here in the patio at the church, or whether it's in the lunch break room at your work. You look at every relationship and ask yourself the question, how am I to righteously relate to this person? Stop thinking of justice in the abstract. Think of it in terms of every one of your single relations. And if each one of us would do that, we would be a light to this world. Let's pray. that God would do that work in our lives. Heavenly Father, we come before you as coming to the throne of justice. And if it were not for Jesus Christ we would come to that throne and be condemned. We would come to that throne and have all of our injustices displayed before us and hear the gavel of your righteousness come crashing down against us and we would be forever condemned. We are thankful for Jesus Christ who had all of our injustices nailed to the cross above his head. The gavel of your justice came crashing down on him on our behalf so that now we can come to your throne and it is a throne of grace and mercy in the time of need. And we come through Jesus Christ and we come asking that as we have been justified by grace through faith, that that wonderful pronouncement would now lead to practical living, that we would begin to live as those who have been justified, and that more and more with each passing day, our relationships with others, unbelievers and believers, family and neighbors, strangers, co-workers, all of these relationships would begin to manifest in greater and greater ways The fact that we have been made righteous by declaration and now it is our joy to live righteously to your pleasure. Make us a people committed to justice in this sense. And we ask it for the glory of your throne and for your son who justified us. Amen.